Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's an exclusive interview with NHRA President Glenn Cromwell. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're going inside the decision-making in a crazy time in drag racing. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And I guess I can promise you that this is a show that will actually live up to the billing and will live up to the title. This is about as insider as you get, as we are going to have an exclusive conversation today with NHRA President Glenn Cromwell. And this is a conversation that um, I I want to take in a more personal level um, than just why did you decide to race in Atlanta instead of Chicago? Those questions are being answered and, and they're being answered accurately and by the media around drag racing but i really want us to have this conversation as an insider conversation i want to know things about glenn and i want to know things about this process that maybe no one's asked or talked about and uh, i think it's going to be enlightening for all of us i know that this has been an insane time for everybody it doesn't matter what your particular role or affiliation is with the sport of drag racing whether you're a fan or you're a racer or you're a media guy like I am, this has been a great disruption. And we are seeing, thankfully, some signs of this great disruption coming to an end with racetracks opening around the country, action happening on the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, action happening in many different styles and and shapes around the country, which is a great thing. And, you know, none of us have the type of perspective that Glenn has on this um, because we are not executives in the sport of drag racing. We have our own jobs our own niches, our own um, kind of worlds to worry about. But what about if you're the guy that has to worry about all of it? And that's what we're going to talk about. And what if you're the guy that has a lot of weight on his shoulders making decisions for the safety of your fans, your participants? You know, what are the things that you have to consider? What was it like to have to cancel, not cancel, I should say, what was it like to have to postpone the Gator Nationals? I mean, that was a that was a down-to-the-wire decision that was a at least in my mind maybe it wasn't maybe we're going to find out it's different than I perceive but as I sit here and I think about it I I think about the guy on the bomb squad who's like do I cut the red wire or the green wire and you're there and that little bead of sweat's coming down your forehead ultimately you have to make that decision which history will show and I'm going to tell Glenn this I mean history will show that Glenn Cromwell and the NHRA were on the correct side of making that decision at the time I'm not sure I agreed with it I'm not sure many people agreed with it And at the time, none of us had any perspective as to what this whole thing was going to turn into. You got to remember that weekend, and we're going to get into this more, but that weekend and the days leading up to that race in March in motorsports and the world in general, of course, but in terms of this conversation in motorsports were insane. And we can take it, you know, instance by instance. You have F1 that was supposed to be racing in Australia, and all of a sudden, a couple of days before the race, you know, there was big questions of whether they were going to have it or not, and then the people down there got all angry, and there were some protests, and then all of a sudden, the news came out that a couple of the crew guys had caught it, and all of a sudden, it was like, uh-oh, this is serious, and so now they're probably not going to have their race, so they're not going to have their race, so F1 decides to fold up the tent in Australia down there. The same weekend, and NASCAR was supposed to be racing in Atlanta, we were in Gainesville, and uh, IndyCar was supposed to be racing in St. Pete, I believe, was their opening kind of salvo of the season. And 
you know, I want to talk to Glenn about how they were monitoring the situations, what the conversations were, all that kind of thing. I think it is a fascinating thing to look at and to consider and ultimately making the correct decision for everybody's health and well-being at that time was the right move. The last thing that drag racing needed ever is to be viewed as a, you know, super spreader location. There are a few of those around the country at this time that were talking about Gator Nationals wise that became these these kind of wild breeding grounds for it. One of which is where I live in Boston. There was a, a technical conference in Boston. People all over the world came to the city and they had this technical conference and all of a sudden next thing you know, kaboom, it absolutely blows up around here because we have a lot of tech companies, a lot of people attended this particular conference and it became this epicenter, this super spreader location. And the last thing that the NHRA, that motorsports, that drag racing, that F1, that anybody needed was to have a motorsports event identified as one of these spots. So that's just one of the things I want to talk about. And I just want to kind of, um, as much as he'll let us, I want to kind of get into Glenn's head a little bit and talk about, you know, just the more human aspects of this situation, the more human aspects of his job and the responsibilities entailed, some of which that I think no leader of NHRA has ever had to confront before, has ever had to exercise such kind of thought process in, in considering making decisions, moving schedules around, that type of a thing. Um, I will tell you on the outset, this is not a situation that they came to me and said, Brian, you need to do a podcast with Glenn Cromwell. This is not a situation that I have a script to read from, nor does he. And this is not a situation where um, the fix is in, so to speak, with these questions and with this line of questioning. Glenn responded to my request to do this, and I'm thankful for that. And I will tell him as much when we get the show started. So this will be interesting. I think... Um, I think it is it is very cool of Glenn to do this, and obviously, uh, I think for you, for me, for everybody, it's it's just going to be a an experience to learn a little bit about about exactly what it's been like to kind of live not as an outsider looking in, but as the insider, ultimate insider looking out in terms of um, in terms of Glenn Cromwell's job with the NHRA and his leadership team, which I'm also going to talk about because uh, in my work. Over the course of this, I have worked, you know, with a lot of the leadership team on different things, different elements in terms of the things I'm responsible for. So um, I have some insight into that as well. So that's that's the way this is going down today. Uh, I give this preamble, this preface, just so you kind of understand the background on this. But this was a, a thought I had last week. I thought, man, it would be be really enlightening and it'd be really cool to be able to talk to Glenn. I contacted Steve Reinches, who is um, the vice president of uh, production for NHRA and, and broadcasting, I should say. And I said, hey, you think uh, this is something Glenn uh, would be able to do? And uh, thankfully, Steve made the made the connection for us, and uh, and off we went. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with NHRA President Glenn Cromwell as we, uh, as we look into what it's like to be a leader in this most interesting and difficult time in drag racing. Glenn, thank you for carving some time out for us today. No problem. Thank you, Brian, for having me. I appreciate it. So, you know, we all, we've all read the stories. We all kind of know what the situation is regarding the schedule and all that stuff. And that's really not the reason I wanted to catch up with you today. I really wanted to get a little bit of insight kind of uh, into you a little bit more so than the actual kind of news that we've been getting, only because I feel like a lot of people at home may not have a full picture of exactly kind of what's been going on behind the scenes and, and kind of where you came from in the sport of drag racing. So I guess the first question I'm going to pose to you is, you know, the fact that you've been in motorsports for effectively your whole career as from a young man all the way up until now. So who are some of the people that you've gotten leadership advice from? And have you been able to apply any of that during this crazy time? 
Well, that's a great question. And before I answer it, I, I do want to say this. In, in, on behalf of the NHRA, Brian, I want to thank you. Um, as you mentioned, these are trying times, difficult times. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about was uh, making sure that the NHRA stayed relevant uh, during this time. And, and you and the entire content team, social team, national director have done a wonderful job. So um, a big, big thank you to Brian Loans. Um, you've done, I mean, we've always thought you're the face of the NHRA and you truly have been the last three months and we appreciate that. So well, well done from the NHRA. You know, as you talk about leadership, you know, I think you're right. You know, as you go through your career, there's certain people that stick out that you, you watch and you, you know, you watch what they're good at. And, and I think, you know, the one person that comes to mind for me, uh, especially at my time here at the NHRA, when I started in 1997, um, would have to be Wally Parks. Um, sure. you, you know, I, I, I had the privilege to work with Wally. Um, you know, he passed away in uh, 2007. Um, so I got, you know, 10 years to spend with him and talk to him and, and watch him. And, and, you know, just the, the leadership and the passion, dedication that he had for this sport speaks volumes but i think the big thing that i watch wally is and people always say you know he, he was a people person you know he he'd go out he would talk to people uh he'd listen and you know the the one thing that always impressed me and and and, and, and nothing against our our professional drivers um they're incredibly important but he made a point to get on the golf cart and go out to our sportsmen uh, racers and talk to them and, you know, make sure that they were happy. And, and, and I, and I really, I, I, I thought that was, um, very impressive, um, that he would do that. So I, I think Wally was one. And I think recently, you know, probably in the last two years, three years since I took on the role that I took on, you know, Peter Clifford, um, you know, Peter, uh, started uh, about the same time I did, you know, and, and really took the reins of the CFO uh, and executive general manager and took, until he took on the presidency in 2016 and passed that on to me um, two years later. And, and I think, you know, wh where he has helped me a lot is, is, is really on the business and financial experience. Um, and, and, and I, it, it, it's been great. I mean, you know, you, you, as, as you, you know, you learn, you want to, you want to learn from people. Um, you surely don't want to act like you're a know-it-all. And, right. and I think, I think, you know, between Wally and Peter, they've, uh, they've, uh, they really have been, uh, instrumental on, on my, uh, on how I view things at my leadership. You know, and one of the things that's so fascinating about this time, and and you know, I don't I don't use that word lightly. It's not like I'm enjoying this time like nobody is. But what's fascinating about it is this is a this is an unprecedented throw at the playbook type of of moment that we're in right now. And I think with the position that you did you have in particular, you know, you are of course the president of the NHRA, but in many ways, as the NHRA goes, so does the industry of drag racing. So I, I just I have to wonder is when you when you guys are in your leadership meetings when you're making decisions when you're considering things how often does not just the nhra's immediate interest but really the interest of the sport kind of creep into those conversations yeah you know it's it's interesting um you know you, you look at it you, you know i from my position you know i i, I think the 
to manage the industry, you know, you really have to have a, a very strategic, you know, we look at it as strategic sure. growth opportunities. You know, we spent a lot, especially recently, talking about the en- economics of the sport, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine. You bet. How things have changed with the pandemic. So, you know, we, we you know, we spent a lot of time on, you know, one one year, three-year, five-year, ten-year plans. Um, and then, you know, you're just kind of working with our stakeholders. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, that's a continuous effort from from our end, even before the pandemic. But, you know, for the last four months, three and a half months, daily, you know, we're reaching out to, to our tracks, our race teams, our sponsors, uh, our employees, um, which, you know, I, I, obviously you're, you're aware, you know, we had to put quite a few of our employees on furlough, which uh, is very heart-wrenching uh, to do. Uh, but, you know, we've been reaching out to them, uh, letting them know what we're doing and, and our fans, um, you know, making sure that we keep them up to speed. So, you know, really, you know, as you, as you manage the industry, it's, it's about being strategic and, 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 and then, of course, working with your stakeholders and then, you know, working with people. And, you know, I, I think as we, you know, a lot of people, you, you know, I manage people and I always say I don't manage people. I work with people. You know, I, 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 I build relationships and trust, um, you know, and, and hold people accountable. Um, but I think that's a big part um how we do things on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, one of the things that um, is often said, kind of about your term of leadership so far, and something that I've experienced firsthand, you know, working with you in the NHRA, is uh, you do have a, a very open willingness to hear people out, and not necessarily just on the bad side of things, but if there are concepts and ideas, and there are things that um, can and should be discussed, rather than e- even if they're far flung, you know, you don't necessarily that I've ever witnessed or heard anybody say just kind of dismiss things out of hand. And um, which is a positive in a lot of ways, especially, you know, during more calm times. But that becomes, in my mind, very difficult when we're in in this situation, because, you know, the honest answer here is like not all of these conversations are comfortable to have. Right. Not all the conversations that have gone on over the last couple of months are uh, everybody slapping high five. So where does that come from? Because to me, that is um, that's a it's a leadership quality that takes um, that does take a. a uh, an approach that a lot of people maybe don't have don't have the stomach for. So, talk to me a little bit about where that particular element of your leadership comes from. Well, I think I mean, as you said, you referenced kind of when you and I sat down and we talked. Um, if I correct what if if I correct what two three years ago in Denver. Yep. We, and we sat we talked about you know some of your ideas um, of new content and and you know freshening things up and you know I just I'm a firm believer and and I believe our leadership team. Uh, feels the same way that it's important to be good listeners. Um, we we need to listen to our stakeholders. I I'm a believer that you know a lot of the best ideas um, come from our stakeholders. You know, I mean, just I think it's a mentality, and, and, and I never, you know, as I as I you know grew through the the uh, business world, you know, I always looked up to people. Uh, that manage people that, hey, there are a lot of people that have good ideas around the table. You know, you don't always have to be the so-called smartest guy in the room. And I think um, I think that's how I look at things. And, and I probably am not the smartest guy in the room. Uh, but I will tell you, I, I think uh, listening to 
our race teams uh, who call me quite a bit and give me their thoughts and their opinions. Um, you know, our employees, uh, like you said, you and I have talked um, uh, numerous times about ideas. I mean, I, one thing that jumps out uh, and, and actually someone you work closely with was, uh, was Alan Reinhardt. Um, you know, a few years back, we were struggling with uh, our sportsmen waiting for a very long time for Winter Circle. And uh, he and Evan Jonette, who oversees our in-venue activities, came up, you know, worked together with a better way to do Winter Circle for our sportsmen, um, which I thought was great. Yeah, but, I mean, that's just an example of the openness that you that that we have, uh, and I and I, you know, I push on our leadership team to have and make sure that we're not closed to ideas. I think we always have to have open ears. We need to be patient and uh, do do a good job listening. If you can take us inside what had to have been just a surreal couple of days, as as the you know the drag racing world collectively is all traveling towards Gainesville, Florida, and all of us are watching these news stories from around the world, and we we understand that Australia, the F one race, they were going to have the race, and all of a sudden some crewmen got got uh, contracted uh, COVID, and at the last minute they had to cancel, and then it was kind of us and IndyCar and NASCAR all on the same weekend, and all of us were kind of converging on this race. Can you take us inside? It, it, in, in whatever depth you can, kind of those last, say, 24 hours of making that call, which, as I said at the top of the show, we are NHRA, you, your leadership team, all of us are on the correct side of history with the call that you made to postpone that race. I will come off, say that right now. But can you take us into that last 24 hours when you had to make the decision to say, OK, we cannot go forward with this? Well, for, for sure. You know, the, one of the one of the words I use a lot is fluid, and it was a very fluid uh, moment at that time on that Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, if you go back, I think it was just the day before the NBA ended up canceling their season. One of their players uh, contracted uh, the coronavirus. And, you know, as we were leading into um, the Gator Nationals, there was a lot of discussions on that Wednesday. Um, you know, we met Wednesday night, uh, Ned Walliser, Josh Peterson, myself, um, and a quick call with the board uh, talking about, uh, you know, should we, you know, should we postpone Gainesville? Should we try to go through? And, you know, we were having conversations with NASCAR and IndyCar, Jay Fry, you know, just seeing where their heads were. And, you know, and, and when we woke up Thursday morning, um, Josh Peterson and I were, were actually on our way to um, – uh, Gainesville, uh, we were at LAX and we did a call, follow-up call. And I think it came, um, to, to the realization that early Thursday morning at about 5 AM that, um, it would be the best move for our, uh, industry, um, you know, for, for all of our stakeholders, um, to postpone the race and not put anybody in risk. Um, so we made that decision early, early Thursday, um, worked on it, uh, just prior to getting on the plane while we're on the plane and while we got off the plane. So, um, it was a, uh, it was, it was a tough decision, but as to your point, I think we're, we're confident we made the right one. Um, we did make a decision to continue with sportsman racing that weekend. Um, we did feel comfortable that with the sportsman being, pitted and spread out 
uh, being, you know, staying within their cars that we could finish um, the sportsman side of the race that weekend, which we did uh, in a, in a comfortable manner that we were not uh, putting anybody uh, at risk. So we did that and, um, you know, it was a tough call. I mean, I, I think every, every, every time you have those situations, they're, they're difficult, but I think you have to take a step back and, and make sure that you're watching out for the health of, of everybody in our sport. And that, and that's the first and most important thing. And I know we all, you know, you're, you're like, I am, I, you know, I want to go racing. You want to go racing. Our race teams want to go racing. Our fans want to come out. Um, but you have to take a step back and, um, be reasonable. Yeah. And, and ultimately, um, like I said, you know, ultimately the, the history shows that was the correct move to not introduce, you know, tens of thousands of people to that area. And, and who knows what comes out of that for both motorsports and the NHRA in, in itself. So I think, uh, you know, you never have the context of you don't really understand what that moment is until you get a few months down the road and you look back, you go, OK, wow, <laughs> thank God we didn't do that, because that probably wouldn't have turned out uh, with a very good kind of a very good aftertaste in our mouth if we had gone forward with the way that the race was scheduled to go. So we continue our conversation here with Glenn Cromwell on the NHRA Insider Podcast. And Glenn, we've we've kind of had the moment you've described to us when the Gator Nationals were postponed. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective here because I know when I got on the plane to go home, I like probably most other people thought, okay, I guess I can see why they did that. We'll probably be back here in two weeks to do this again. And it took not even a week to understand that this was uh, a situation that was far more I don't want to say grave, but certainly far bigger than anybody had initially thought. So I guess for you, when did it really hit home? How quickly did it hit home that this was going to require some pretty extraordinary measures in terms of managing 2020? Um, well, you know, when we when we got home from Gainesville, you know, we obviously, like you, you know, were hoping and thought that, you know, maybe this was going to be with us, I don't know, 30 days sure. uh, at most. And, and I think as it you know, as we watched the world and the country um, start to shut down and, and the infection rate starting to go up, um, it really changed uh, how we viewed things. And, you know, I, you know, looking at the industry, looking at all of our racing uh, from our national events to our divisional events, uh, and how would we, you know, take all that scheduled uh, events and you know, change it and and make it so that our fans uh, could come back and watch the great race, the NHRA drag racing. So, um, you know, it's probably probably 15, 30 days, you know, it really hit home. And we spent a lot of time, you know, the leadership team got together and, you know, some people, you know, Ned Walliser, who's based out of Indy, uh, took a lead on talking to a lot of our national event tracks, talking about post postponements, how to move events to different times of the year. So we spent quite a bit of time after Gainesville, you know, as it led into late March, early April, you know, how, how to reconfigure things, which, as you know, we came out with that June June 1 start time. And, sure. um, you know, we were pretty uh, bullish on that. And then, of course, uh late April, May rolled around and it became pretty evident at that time that we were not going to be able to race with fans in June. So we had to kind of go to phase two, uh, which we did and, uh, shifted things to what you see that came out last Wednesday, which, uh, you know, two events in Indy with limited fans and then 
really kicking off uh, in August up in Seattle and, you know, 15 events uh, almost in a row um, uh, is, is where we netted out, so... Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be incredible in some ways when we get going, and obviously, there's like we talk about all the time, there's this you know, pent up need to kind of get out and going like everybody in the sport wants to do. I know for me personally, you know, being uh, at home during this time and and working in in this capacity that you know making the podcast and doing the, the online content and stuff that we're doing, it's the the frustration level for me on a personal level, not with you know not with management, not with drag racing, but the frustration for me on the personal level was always. It, it, every time you thought that the second shoe had dropped in terms of this, another shoe would drop. And I wasn't trying to plan events. I wasn't trying to schedule events. And I can only imagine the levels of frustration on the inside of this thing when that would happen. You know, you, you, you work so hard on a plan and then all of a sudden, um, it, all of a sudden there's another variable, another boogeyman, if you will, kind of jumps up. And I guess for... For you personally, how, how have you been managing that just as a human being? You know, I'm not necessarily as, the, as uh, you know, NHRA president, but just as Glenn Cromwell, how have you kept your sanity during this time? <laughs> You're assuming I'm keeping it, right? Right, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> nice assumption. Now, you know what? Um, in, in, you know, we've got some great people around me. Our leadership team has really picked up a lot of um, – you know, carrying the load on this. And, and, uh, but, you know, I think for us, as we looked at it, you know, we all want to get back to racing. You want to get back to racing. I want to get back to racing. Our race teams want to get back on the track. I mean, everybody's itching to get going and they want to move quickly. And, and, you know, I think we, we, we stepped back and said, Hey, what is the best way to handle this? And, and we, we, we all decided, you know, you, you've got to, you, you really have to phase in um, the drag racing. You know, you kind of have to take baby steps. And, yeah. and that's what you have seen seen us do. You know, we started to open up our tracks. Our member tracks started to open up. Small, you know, test and tunes. You know, Wednesday night races, you know. I mean, we just recently um, opened up some of our divisional races here in early June. Sure. Uh, over in Atlanta and Topeka, uh, Atlanta and um, Tulsa came off very well and Andy Carter down in Texas did an event late May um, that came off very well it was a pro mod event and we had our Lucas oil alcohol cars over there so you know in everything is starting to come back and I think it's the way we envisioned it that you had to take baby steps you had to you had to be patient you didn't have if you went with your urge you'd be like oh my god we got to get back right now in you know June 15th we got to go and I think we, 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 we still have to watch um, the pandemic. We, we have to make sure we have the safety measures in place um, and be responsible. Um, it, it, we expect it uh, on ourselves, and I, I, I would believe our stakeholders would expect that of the NHRA when we're hosting events. Yeah, that's a fact. And that's, uh, you know, the restraint is uh, on a personal level and, and uh, on a professional level is the, you know, it's at least for me has been like the big struggle, you know, just uh, in, you know, living in Massachusetts where I do, we've had kind of the same uh, aggressive schedule of shutdowns and slow reopenings as you have in California. So that compounds things to some degree too, where you're like, maybe I'll just go out and you obviously have to constantly remind yourself, I can't do that right now. And that, <laughs> and that also is a, you know, something that makes me grip my teeth every every now and again that is yeah you know one of the things i i think is interesting in this whole process is we look at 
we look at decisions that were made years ago before any of this stuff could have even been conceived or thought of and we look at the results of those decisions now and to me you know it's a fascinating thing the fact that you know NHRA has an office in Indianapolis it's where our you know Indy Bureau of Media is there John Kernan's there uh, a lot of the tech officials are there uh, Casey Kohler's based out of there and that office to me during this time has been at least from my perspective has had to have been one of the best assets we have obviously being able to go back racing and in in indy and in in indiana because of the relationship that casey has and because of our ability to work and and understand the workings of that state i mean where would we be without that office is my question no it's it's a it's a great point and you know casey and his team over there in ned uh, as you mentioned, you know, our tech department is based out of there. Ned Walser oversees our tech department and his team. You know, they've, they've done a wonderful job. And you're right. Without them, um, you, know, you know, that w- it would be a challenge. And, and Casey was instrumental on getting tracks to open up. You know, not only our own tracks, um, but also our member tracks. Uh, working with them, uh, especially in Division Three. Uh, you know, Casey is part of our NHRA task force, our COVID-19 task force. So, you know, having him there uh, has been critical. I mean, it's, a, it's um, you know, it, it, it was a great to give us an option to kick off the NHRA Mel Yell Drag Racing Series with two events there back to back and, you know, really do it in a, uh, a manner that logistically and economically makes sense. Um, and so that afforded us that that uh, that option. And uh, to your point, I mean, we um, we're extremely happy uh, that we have that office there, uh, and we have Casey, Ned, and the rest of the team there. It's uh, uh, they're they're a small team, but I will tell you, they uh, they carry a load of about a hundred people. Um, they do tr- tremendous work there out of Indy. And I will say, you know, um, Casey's done a great job. And just to add on that. Our division directors, you know, we talk about Indy and having an office there and instrumental. Our division directors um, have been critical on getting racing started. Um, outside, you know, a lot of times people think of the NHRA Mel Yell series, but, you know, our Lucas Oil series, our JEG Super Quick series, uh, our national opens. I mean, all the things that these guys do um, have been instrumental, and, and they've had to be patient. Uh, because, of course, as the national events schedule changed, the divisional events changed behind it, which a lot of people didn't realize. Yeah. And if you can only imagine what Josh Peterson and the division directors had to go through the last 60 days um, have been incredible. So uh, they deserve a lot of um, applause for everything they've worked behind the scenes um, to make things happen. I lied. I have one more question, then I'm going to get to my my last one. But, you know, NHRA is in a unique position here with this, and I think a more complex position perhaps than, than any other motorsport, maybe outside of NASCAR, because of the fact that this is a sport, this is an organization that operates – a bunch of different series and those series operate on different levels of in styles of racetracks they operate you know not just in in uh, the united states but in all over north america and in other places as well so i guess to your point on the division director's role and, and everybody else here this is not simply a consideration of the mellow yellow series this is everything right down to as you mentioned the ability for people to go to a wednesday night test and tune with their own car yeah, I mean, I think that's a big deal because I, I know a lot of times, 
people gravitate talking about the NHRA Mel Yell Drag Racing Series, and I understand why. I mean, that's the marquee series, and you know that's got our superstars and our athletes, and uh, that is an important piece to our fans and our business. But you know, in this time, um, you know, and it kind of goes back to one of the questions: you, you have to take a step back and say, you know, the the reengagement of of racing really starts at our grassroots, and it starts with our division directors, our member tracks. We've been having um, bi-weekly calls with our member tracks, um, which uh, we should have been having before, um, but I'm glad we're doing it today. Um, and we're, we're having some of our member tracks share information um, all across the country. And it has been valuable information. They're, you know, they're all trying to open up. I mean, just amazing what some of the, you know, Chris Blair, um, who... You know, he texts me a lot. You know, he's doing everything he can do, uh, especially being in a very challenging state. Uh, Illinois is 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 slow to open, uh, which we you know we understand why. You know, trying to get that infection to come down. Um, but you know, he's he's doing you know putting movie theaters and concerts and you know anything to open up their facilities. So. You know, a big shout out to our member tracks. They they have been so critical in this uh, this effort to, to reopen. Yeah, and you, know, you mentioned the calls with the member tracks is something that has come out of this as, as somewhat of a positive, and I feel like uh, what people are going to see coming in the next weeks, months, years even, you know, there's been a lot of conversations even on, you know, my level with, with people like Evan Jonad, who's in, on the event marketing side of working on, yeah. of accomplishing things that we've long talked about trying to accomplish. And now we have concrete plans in place to move, you know, things forward for us. It's a big deal to work on developing announcers. And, and we have a very solid plan about how we're going to go ahead with that as, as things begin to pick back up again. So in, in every sort of situation like this, there is a positive. And to me, the examination of all the things that we do individually, the examination of the things that we do as an organization, um, however painful it may be during this time, I feel like that's one of the, the major things to come out. And the last question I have for you is the fact that, you know, when we look at leadership, we look at what leaders, what people consider good leaders are. Uh, the good leaders are the ones that, you know, praise their people. They, they, they stand by their people when successes happen and when failures and or breakdowns happen, they stand up and, and hold their hand up and say, this one's on me. This is, this is something that happened under my watch. Um, Wally, I never got to meet him personally. Seems as though he was that type of a guy. I, I never got to meet him, but in all the video I've watched and everything I've read, he did seem to, when the buck was going to be passed, he did not let it pass him. So I guess I'm wondering if that is an accurate assessment. It, it, it is. And that's, um, I mean, you're spot on. And it kind of goes back to one of the, the first questions you asked, you know, you know, one of the people I admired. And, you know, that was something I did. And I watched him do that. And I think he, um, uh, he he definitely commended for for that personality and the way he managed. And I think we do a similar thing here today um, with our team. You know, um, and I and I'll say this, Brian. You know, I've as you said, I, I basically have been in motorsports my entire life, and I, you know, 22 years here with the NHRA, and, and, and I'll say um, the stakeholders here within or I'll call our racing community. Um, I've never seen so many people come together um, during such a difficult time. And, and I guess it doesn't shock me, you know, when I first joined the NHRA and I, you know, one of the fuel teams struggling, other team would go over and help, even though if they were racing earlier in the day, they were trying to beat each other. 
uh, uh, just that lending hand of how our community works together. And, and, I, and I will tell you, dur during the last three months, everyone has come together. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, our leadership team uh, has, has been working 24-7. I can't thank them enough for everything they've done. But really, just outside the NHRA, which really has, has impressed me, you know, the last three months, we've been working with all the race teams, um, working with PRO, uh, which I, I know you're familiar with with that organization. You know, Alan Johnson and Don Schumacher, Bob Tasca, Robert Height, Doug Stringer, Chad Head. I mean, all these guys, the Torrances, Jimmo, uh, Bill Miller, I mean, Greg Anderson, Woody, I mean, have had numerous calls with these guys. And, you know, they want to get back to racing and, you know, trying to find a way to do it that works for everybody. Um, you know, hats off to, to them and, you know, even the car, you know, even our single car teams that are not part of pro have been calling me and calling Ned and Josh. And, and it just I, I can't thank them enough for their willingness and their openness to, um, you know, to adapt to the changes. And, and, it, and it falls not only on our race teams, but I mean, it goes it goes to our racetracks, um, you know, for our racetracks to adjust their schedules the way they have. Um, I. I can't say enough about our all of our racetracks our national event our member tracks um you know our sponsors have stood by us uh i know that you know in a lot of other sports uh you could see them leave and our sponsors from coke you know gary azar and al rondon have stood behind the nhra in this difficult time and lucas oil um charlotte and forest and jim greenleaf and al over at summit have stood by us and fox who's a big partner of ours um, as you well know, <laughs> as yeah, you, you should know, uh, Oakley reached out and worked with Steve Righteous, uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, Toyota, AAA, Tom McKernan. I mean, all these people have called, they've cut, you know, what can we do? What can we do to help you guys? Our fans, our fans have stood by us, you know, with, you know, you could see fans getting aggravated on, on moving events or, postponing or canceling our fans have called us and said hey we want to come we want to buy tickets we just want to see racing so and our employees uh you know our employees have gone through a very difficult time and and they have stood by and are extremely excited to get back to work so it, as you say you know it, successful leaders really depend uh not only on their employee their team around them but really the the racing community and i've never seen it before yeah. and i came from a different racing community prior to this and that did not exist there um and so for anyone with the nhra um it's a very special place to be because it's very special people uh that are part of it and i will tell you and hopefully we talk in a year or two and we look back on this and i will say it again then is what got us through this is everybody everybody pulling together working together um and being paid so I know that was a long answer. I apologize. But no, it's a, it's a great answer. I think it's yeah, important it's a, to, yeah. to that, that we've worked with a lot of people, um, uh, you know, during this time. Yeah, and, and on a personal level, I mean, I know um, – myself and and the, the rest of us doing the content stuff like we we all got together pretty early in this thing and it's like we all really 
did and do have a sense of duty to do the best possible job we can for everybody that's that's chomping at the bit to get back and I don't just mean I don't just mean the fans of the racers I mean our friends that are also part of the NHRA as a as you know for their profession or for their job so it's like you know we want to make sure when they come back in that the that the bed is made and that the house has been kept in order and I think that's been one of the you know one of the most interesting things for me and I think this you know particular period is something in my own personal career probably yours too that you're not going to forget it for you're going to forget it for some of the the trauma that's involved but at the end of the day it is it is this kind of really neat sense of duty this kind of band of brothers feeling if you will that it's like we're going to hold our arms together here and however we do this we're going to figure it out so um, yeah yeah it's true and i'll tell you you know a couple people i mean richard freeman i mean you gotta love richard freeman he calls my cell phone you know every other day i mean he, he he's he's chomping at the bit and eddie and andrew um you know they want to get those motorcycles back out there so it's just everybody uh they they go back racing and absolutely doing, and so you're it's a special it's a special group and one that, um, i i'm just i'm privileged to be part of it and i feel the same way well, Glenn, thanks for taking some time out of your day. And uh, as I joked with somebody else yesterday, before March 12th, there was about a thousand people that thought I could do that job. And after March, after March 12th, nobody was putting in an application. So uh, you've been in a tough spot. I appreciate you taking the time, and I certainly look forward to uh, seeing you and shaking your hand at the first opportunity I get. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Take care. Great. And that puts a point on what I think is a pretty awesome conversation with NHRA President Glenn Cromwell. It was really, really neat to have that time with him and get some insight into kind of how his brain works, how the situation has evolved in terms of the 2020 schedule, and what his outlook is going forward. I look forward to seeing all of you at a racetrack at some point this year, whether you're at the track with me physically or we're looking at each other through a TV screen. I can't wait to get things going like everybody else in the world of NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing. We'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening.